I'm Darren Garrahy, and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter, from their first memories of laughter to feeling laughed at, to the person they always laugh with. Yeah, I mean, we didn't get to see each other. Um, I mean, a lot of that was as well, because people kept saying, well, why don't you just, you know, break the, you know, 5K rule or whatever? And I was perfectly prepared to do that. <laughs> but Richard, not so much. Oh my gosh, such a little square. But anyway. Louise O'Neill, author of bestsellers like Asking For It and Only Ever Yours, is my guest this week. We chatted about how therapy helped her to overcome her eating disorder, the actual riot that is experiencing a Joanne McNally comedy gig, and why people think her dog hates men, but really doesn't. This podcast contains discussions about eating disorders. Louise's fabulous new book, Idol, is out now and available in all good bookshops. This season of The Last of Your Life is once again brought to you by FNF Fashion at Tesco. Pop in for the weekly shop and step out in style with a brand new wardrobe this autumn winter. Did you know that over 50% of the FNF at Tesco range is now made mindfully, which means that the materials used in each piece has been produced, grown or made to have a positive impact on the environment. FNF at Tesco is committed to providing fashion forward, sustainable styles at excellent value. There are loads of FNF pieces I would have picked up from the Made Mindfully range last year that are still in absolutely perfect condition. And I get such satisfaction out of wearing them and knowing that I'm doing my bit for the planet. Also, I don't know about you, but the absolute relief I feel knowing that rewearing clothes is not only completely normal, but also applauded. How was it ever not? Never again will I be caught running ragged around town because I need a brand new outfit every Saturday night. But if I do need something fresh and new, I know FNF will have it covered. And now for my chat with Louise O'Neill. I hope you enjoy. Louise O'Neill, you are extremely welcome to the Laughs of Your Life podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a very professional setup you have in here. Normally yeah. when I do a podcast, it's like just me and the host in like a very dark room. So I wasn't expecting all of these <laughs> men here watching me. <laughs> and then there's the cameras. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know, it's a, it's a stressful time. Uh, but thank you so much for agreeing to do it. And uh, I'm glad you made a day of it. As you said, you mentioned there before we uh, went live, you ventured up to the city and so you've kind of made a, a trip out of I did experience. Yeah. yeah you know went into Marks and Spencer's I'm going to go to Butler's afterwards get a hot chocolate Stunning. it's very sort of like 8th of December you know the culture's coming up <laughs> to the city to do the shopping that's the kind of vibe I actually was only thinking as I was walking by Butler's on the way here I always forget how much of a treat it is to get the free chocolate. Now I know mm. it's I know it's technically not free. You're definitely paying for it. <laughs> it's such a treat. <laughs> you're there. It's like a tenner. You're like, oh my god, the free chocolate is the best bit. Honestly, <laughs> I'm like, I could drop as much money as, and I'd be like, but it's the free chocolate. It's worth it. <laughs> so yeah, great. That's great that you're you're going all out. But uh, we're here to talk about laughter. Mm-hmm. You had a little look at the questions. I did. You're ready for this? No, I am ready. Okay, Louise O'Neill, your first memory of laughter. Okay. Um, a lot of these questions were actually much more difficult than I thought they were going to be. You okay, know, I was like really going into my childhood and being like, wow, that's a bit dark. No, I won't tell that story. My parents will sue me. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah. And then I was trying to think my first kind of memory of maybe making people laugh. Um, and when, when we were small, like my parents had um, me and my sister when they were very young. Um, so they were still traveling a lot. My dad was going back and forth um, to New York because he was playing for a Gaelic football team over there. And my mom kind of went with him a bit. So they basically handed us over to my maternal grandparents and said, 
I don't know, just do something with these kids, see how it goes. Um, so we spent a lot of time in my grandparents' farmhouse, which we called Overhome. Um, and it was like a very different experience to what it was like growing up in like Clonakilty in the 90s, which is, you know, where I'm from. Like this was in the middle of nowhere. Um, there was one television, it had two channels. Um, and it was like, you know, you'd have your, your main dinner in the middle of the day and then sort of a tea at nighttime, you know, like with scones and brown bread. And... Sorry, that's the dream. I know, oh my God, I know. <laughs> um, but the rosary was said as well. So maybe not quite the dream. <laughs> you had to go to mass every su- Sunday. So, you know, we were close, but not quite. Um, and uh, yeah, you'll be playing cards around the table. So it kind of felt like, you know, as I said, like 90s and kind of guilty. And then sort of back to like 1955 <laughs> or something um, over home. And I think this is quite true of a lot of Irish families where storytelling and, and being funny was like really valued. Um, and yeah, like there was six of them um, and my mother obviously wasn't living there, but there was four uncles sort of, they were all kind of in their late teens, early twenties um, when my sister and I were kids. So, yeah, so it was kind of, you know, I suppose competing a bit with each other. So who would be the funniest and who would have like the best story? Um, And I remember this one night, my sister telling me that she had, uh, she'd found a spider in our room and she'd thrown it out the window. And I said something like, it's not even funny, but anyway, so please prepare yourself for the fact that this won't be funny. (laughs) But um, I was about six, so please take that into consideration as well. Um, And I said something like, oh, we'll have to go outside and look for a spider with crutches. Again, I did warn you, not funny. But anyway, for some reason, it's got a bit of a laugh. I'd say they were all, a few beers have been taken. Um, And I repeated the joke, I think like another time. And then I repeated it like, you know, the kids do that. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh my God, this is great. I'm like, the approval and the attention is intoxicating. So they sort of tell the same joke like over and over um, until like, you know, like real like case of diminishing returns where like one of my uncles just had to go, okay, enough now. <laughs> and then they usually did that thing where they were like, okay, we'll play hide and seek. And then I would go hide. And about an hour later, no. I was like, no one's coming. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was, I think the time where I kind of learned, like first day was supposed to be the thrill of having someone laugh at the joke, but then also that you kind of have to just let it Let stand. it go. Yeah, just let it go. I think it comes as well with being the youngest. I was a lot like that. Um, I had two older sisters and anytime you'd make a joke and they would laugh, your life would be made. Yeah, yeah. And I like that you would drag the arse out of it. And also, as you're saying, when you play, like you went and hid and no one came to find you, my sisters used to constantly trick me into getting them stuff. So say if they wanted their phone upstairs, they'd be like, dear, get my phone. I'll time you. Yeah. One, two. And I'd be like, start the clock again. <laughs> you just, you don't even know that it's like they're using and abusing you. Oh, a little servant. I know. Little servant, Erin. But you, how was your, like, because it was just the two of you, yourself mm. and Michelle, isn't it? Yes. Yes. What were, what was the relationship like back then? Were you always trying to please her or was it fairly um, balanced? Not really. I mean, it's funny. I There's only a year and nine months between us. So I don't know if there's that same dynamic that there would be, let's say if there's like a big, um, kind of a big gap, but we were, it's interesting. Like she was very brave, like, you know, physically, like she was always breaking bones and throwing herself out of planes. I mean, you know, with, with like the parachute attached, not just in general, um, and, you know, skydiving and things like that. And then, but she would be, would have been maybe a bit more shyer, like socially, um, and kind of would have needed me a little bit to, particularly when we were kids, let's say if we were out in a restaurant and she wanted to go to the bathroom, she'd always be like, can you, will you come with me or, you know. Really? Um, so As the younger sister. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Louise, the first time 
apart from that that you felt laughed at oh well <laughs> I mean it's funny because I mean you did say to try and focus on like you know adolescence and I thought you know uh, all of that is so deeply traumatic that <laughs> I just don't know if it, I don't even know still can I find any humor in it um <laughs> so I was thinking maybe in my 20s um when I uh, when I was trying to I had um, got a J visa not a J1 a J visa for like a year long visa for New York um, and I was try as part of that you have to do an internship um, so I was trying to find um, an inter- internship in, in New York and I had just finished a postgraduate in fashion buying so I knew it was going to be something sort of in the fashion world and I was more interested in maybe working for a magazine so I wrote all of these letters, like handwritten letters to like every editor of like every, you know, all the big magazines um, in New York. And then for some reason, I think one of them took pity on me um, and sort of said, okay, we'll organize, we'll, we'll organize a, um, an interview for you. But anyway, to kind of cut a long story story, that one didn't work out, but she said, oh, look, I have a contact at L, so maybe we can get you um, an interview there. And I was like, brilliant. Brilliant. So now the day of the interview arrived. So I arrived and I was really hot. I was really like sweaty. And I was just like, you know, just trying to sort of seem like I had my shit together. But like, you know, the interview went well. And then afterwards, I've been told that like the done thing to do in New York is to send a thank you note. Right. And I was like, okay, I mean, grand, I'll send a thank you card. So, um, oh, an actual card. Oh yeah, like a card. No, not an email, like an actual card. So yeah, I know very, I was like, oh, (laughs) grand. Like, (laughs) Okay, but um, and you know, like the only time I'd ever sent thank you cards before was like to my grandmother. Yeah, but, like and your uh, mom buys it, 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 makes you do exactly. it exactly. Right, that and right, I posted if you just yeah. write it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so my friend Vicky and I were, you know, writing our cards, and um, I sent the card, and then as soon as I put put it into the post box, I went, Vicky, I didn't write in that card. She went, What do you mean? I said, I just sent her a blank <laughs> card. I just sent her a blank thank you card. <laughs> like what do you mean blank and I was like there's nothing in the cart and she's like okay so then I was like she'll know it's me and she's gonna think I'm really weird I was like okay you have to write another thank you card and it'll be in your handwriting and then she'll just think the other card was a mistake and you know she won't like recognize the hanger I was <laughs> so the, had you written literally nothing yeah just like her name and the address on the front <laughs> just a blank just a blank card so creepy so I was re- exactly so I was re- oh my god exactly anyway so I was really panicking and jet lagged so jet lagged so I got Vicky to like write a card really quickly and I sent it and, and then I had to spend like the rest of the year sort of disguising my handwriting <laughs> for fear that you know that she would recognise it um, so you got it you got oh no yeah, okay, I got the job oh, sorry and that's kind of that's kind of I was like that's almost irrelevant, irrelevant to the story, to the story. Um, but then anyway, but midway through the year, I felt kind of brave enough to say to someone, I was like, well, you know, I actually sent um, Crystal, I sent her like a blank card. And I was like, oh. And I said, do you know, did she ever say anything or like mention the fact that this was a bit weird? And they said, no, no. I mean, there was this really weird handwritten letter from some girl in Ireland. And like, that was really strange. <laughs> so we passed that around the office and everyone had a good laugh at that. And then my face obviously went really weird because she said, that wasn't you, was it? <laughs> and I went, no, 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 it wasn't me. <laughs> and like, just like ran out of the office and like <laughs> never, ever, ever mentioned it again. <laughs> But you got the job, so I actually don't feel bad for you. It's all good. Okay, Louise, the moment when, if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Um, okay. I, yeah, okay. So when I was 21, um, I 
Now this does sound a bit dark before we start. Okay. Just prepare yourself again. Okay. Um, so when I was 21, um, I was I was hospitalized um, with anorexia. Really hilarious, as you can imagine. Um, so funny. Um, but like, I get. I think a lot of it was. I mean, some of it was just really surreal. Like, you know, like when you're in like, um, like I was doing occupational therapy and you're like, me, <laughs> like making little cards and stuff. And I was like, I mean, I really did not think this is where I was going to be um, at 21. And it was like art therapy um, as part of it. And I, mean, I was like, I, I can't draw. And they were like, but you know, it just, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This is just going to be an expression of how you're feeling. And, you know, like of your, you know, your inner trauma and your pain, just put everything onto the page just like throw it all out there and I was like okay um and like the only thing that I could draw which I had like drawn since I was a kid was like oh you know like a mountain with like a sun in the background <laughs> the birds <laughs> the little exactly. <laughs> and like a lake and you know like kind of attempt to put a few waves and then there was like a little stick figure kind of going up the mountain um and it looked like a child with a broken hand had drawn it like that's how bad it was during um and then but then they had a team meeting so you're brought into this team meeting where you kind of are talking about like how everything is going and so it's you and it's the psychologist and it's the cognitive behavioral therapist and it's the occupational therapist and it's the nurse and so there's about like 10 people in this wow. room and they were like and now we <laughs> sorry and now we really need to discuss this and they bring out the painting <laughs> yes and they spent about 10 minutes going through the painting <laughs> and what it symbolized <laughs> sorry and look at this little girl just walking up the mountain she's only halfway there Louise there's still a bit of mountain left to climb but she's so close <laughs> I'm just going, no. I, ha I can't I can't do this and you're like you're trying to kind of take it seriously and go okay I mean, this is clearly really important oh, but yeah so that you would have to laugh <laughs> like you would you were like, that is literally the only thing I could draw. It means yeah. nothing. Well, well, apparently she was only halfway up the mountain, Darren. Okay. I mean, had she gotten to the top yet? Who knows? It was seriously metaphoric. Um, so you were 21 at that time. So uh -huh. if you don't mind talking about it, what was the moment that you got to in life where, or what was the journey towards that moment where you realized, or I don't know, someone else realized you needed to be hospitalized? Um... God, that's a that's a good question. I mean, I had sort of been struggling with an eating disorder since I was around fourteen or fifteen. Okay. Um, and my parents made me start going to see a therapist when I was seventeen. But like, I think you know, once I went to college and things kind of really just got exponentially worse. I think when I was there, because there's no one, you know, I suppose at least when I was at home, there was someone saying, "Okay, have you eaten?" or you know, um, "What have you eaten today?" and sort of keeping keeping an eye on things that way. So I think when I went to university, things just really went downhill. Um, and then I, in about, I think it was third year of college, I just started like losing, um, was partying a lot um, as well, which didn't help. Um, and um, I was just losing a lot of weight. Um, and I was supposed to be going to India for the summer. I was um, spending four months in India. I was um, going to be volunteering for three months. And then I was uh, climbing a mountain. Um, oh my God, there you go, the mountain. <laughs> there she is. There she is, <laughs> off, the, off in that mountain. And it was like a theme, a little motif. Um, so I, yeah, and before I went, um, I went to the doctor to get like my injections and kind of to do all that. Um, and she said at that point, she was like, I really don't think you should go. Um, you know, your weight is worrying at this point um and she said you know 
I suppose most people who go to India, you know, will have not well not everyone, but like a lot of people will maybe have a bit of an upset stomach and yeah. And she was like, I just really don't think this is a good idea. And I was like, oh well, you know, peace. <laughs> God, I just left. Um, and I was like, I'll be fine. You know, twenty one. Like you just yeah. think you're completely invincible. Um, and I went and like did lose like a lot of weight again. Um, and then I remember um coming home. Um, my dad was waiting for me at the airport um, and he had like a little sign, you know, like, welcome home, um, Louise. And I could see on his face when I walked through, like, he just looked so, I mean, devastated. Like, he was just really shocked as well, you know. Um, so then it was just kind of all systems go at that point. There, I just didn't really have a choice. You know, it was very much like, okay, well this is really serious and you know we have to do something and um I, I suppose because my weight had dropped so low at that point like my heart was under a lot of pressure and um and there was kind of worries about like would I have a heart attack and you know so it was I just didn't I really didn't have a choice so then it was kind of going up and talking to um going to sort of go into different rehab centers yeah so that was it three months um yeah and then they kicked me out for not uh gaining enough weight um so see, which seems which seems ironic Stop, but yeah you have to sign a contract before you go in that you have to yeah that you have to um you have to gain two pounds um a week um while that's you're actually, there that's actually a lot well it's a lot when you're at a normal weight yeah but when you're very Sorry. underweight okay, it, right. it's you'll you'll put that on quite, when you're refeeding yourself you're you kind of can put that on um quite quite quickly okay yeah. So wow, I didn't realise it was like that with the contract. Yeah. Do you know what? Before you came in today, um, I was chatting to the lads here and the amount of women that have been on the podcast that have had eating disorders, it's actually mad. Mm. And like that, I kind of, in my own mind, I was like, is that because a lot of them are just in the industry and they're on TV and they're getting their photographed? But uh, but like that, you were that you were 21. You know, yeah. that had, had kicked off for you yet. Yeah. It's I mean, I just, just think... I mean, it's interesting. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm fully. I mean, I've been fully recovered for about like it's over five years now. Mm. Um, and I think I probably because I've had to do so much work on it. Yeah. I probably have a much healthier attitude and relationship with my body and food than most women I know. Because I feel like actually it's sort of like a, on a spectrum. Yeah. Um, that I think that women are kind of conditioned to. I don't know. I suppose you know this correlation between our weight and our value and this sort of obsession with thin I mean particularly I think if you're growing you know like if you kind of came of age in the early 2000s when you're <laughs> younger than I am but like I you know I suppose there was just a lot of a lot of pressure a lot of um focus on women's bodies um and like that has it just you know particularly as a teenager it just has to have an impact without a doubt yeah okay Louise your no laughing matter moment in life a time where there was no room for it mm. um well it's there's probably, I mean, there's one thing, because I, I suppose, you know, I think when you're Irish, you kind of just find humor in most things. Um, but there was probably, there's probably only one thing that I could think of that, like, I would still struggle to find any humor from. Um, and that was when I was 14. I, I, this probably really kicked off um, the eating disorder in the first place, um, was my uncle died. Um, he was 30, which, you know, at the time seemed like really old, but now yeah. it's just like devastatingly young. Um, and because, you know, as I said, of having spent so much time over home with my, like, they were more like brothers, really. Um, and I suppose over home, it always kind of felt like this really safe space, you know, um, like that nothing bad could happen there. That like my, my, my grandmother in particular was this really loving woman who 
I think gave me this incredible gift as a child of being the only person in my life I think who didn't want me to change you know because I think most people like you know your teachers or your parents or you know they all or your siblings or your friends kind of always want you to behave in a certain way that will make their lives more comfortable or easier whereas I think she was the only person in my life that was really like you know just completely accepting of me um as I was and I just think that's an incredible gift um to give a child but we my aunt was getting married and we were up in um Brown Thomas in Cork uh trying on bridesmaids dresses and my my mother's phone went and I just remember turning around like sorry it's funny even it's funny it's I mean it's so long ago and even now when I talk about it I feel like I'm gonna cry like Mm. it still feels really like close or raw or something um and she said I just heard her say um is he dead and I just turned and I just thought instantly I was like oh god it's dad you know and then she said you know there's been there's been an accident and we sort of drove home and I kept I kept saying I was like well you know he'll be fine and like he was in a you know because he was driving a lorry and I was like there's no way in a lorry like he'll be grand and then you know you're just hoping and hoping and hoping and then um when we got there and then the door opened and you know my aunt came out and she you know she just said you know he's dead and then I came in and my grandmother was so quiet like she was just kind of sitting in the seat by herself and my granddad was sob like really sobbing you know and I think seeing someone like that you know like an older man like of that kind of generation just like properly crying and I just remember going over to my grandmother and and she just looked at me and she said I'll have to get my hair done you know so it's it was just what she was like I I have to get my hair done and I recently I I did ayahuasca for the first time um do you know what ayahuasca it's like a it's a psychoactive brew it's sort of used in indigenous cultures um in uh South America and it's supposed to be like this really healing like it's it's i mean it's it's pretty horrendous like it, it makes you vomit and like it I, okay i'll explain it properly so you you take it and it's supposed to have like this incredible healing power people talk about that it's like 30 years of therapy um in one night but and you're you have to fast the day before you take it because it sort of makes you vomit but like it's supposed to like vomit like trauma from your body rather than wow. yeah so it's quite it's, it's really intense like okay it, it takes a full night I was really sort of like just very emotionally and physically drained after it but it was it was interesting because people were saying oh what was it like and I was like oh, it was it was a lot of sort of flashing memories but like I kept having that kind of loop of that day and arriving and getting out of the car and going to the door like this kept happening on a loop while I was like very high was like and then opening the door and like each time hoping that they would say he was okay you yeah. know and it just happened like it was really interesting to sort of watch it and I mean obviously when you're like in this trip you kind of can't control what's, what's going to come but it was it was funny sort of seeing that that loop take place over and over again and each time just going oh maybe this time you know he'll be okay where did you do this oh god <laughs> I, sh- I shouldn't really say too much because <laughs> I don't think it's entirely legal but um anyway <laughs> we'll move on from yeah. that <laughs> okay okay uh, okay Louise the person that you always laugh with okay um this is another hard one I think I've got a lot of very funny friends and like funny in different ways like I've got friends who are very dry and then friends who are really witty and actually two of my um closest friends are authors um and they like their work is very humorous and like they and they have this very sort of delightfully odd way of sort of looking at the world and and so they always make me laugh but I, I do think the person who makes me laugh the most is probably Richard um, my boyfriend <laughs> and not just because he will kill me if I don't say him but um, <laughs> no I you know I, I had like some tricky 
relationships in the past um and a lot of that i think was because i just had very low self-esteem was kind of constantly picking people who were not particularly nice to me because i think that sort of reinforced my own kind of ideas of like about myself Mm. you know um i think often it can be sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy um and when it's funny because it was actually when I was in recovery I was about a year in recovery um and like was really doing all of that like kind of very deep-rooted work on learning to love myself <laughs> god it's so precious but anyway um and um and I suppose I really decided that like the next person that I was with I was going to really prioritize finding someone who was very kind to me um and just very kind in general um and also I think someone that would make me laugh um and yeah I've definitely found that with um with Richard and sometimes it can be really annoying because the other night I was really annoyed with him about something and I had to like <laughs> pretend to like storm off to my room because I was like oh he's I'm, I'm I'm actually about to laugh and I was like <laughs> I don't even want to talk to you anymore and, like went off and he came up later he's like well, I'm sorry I'm like, it's fine Aww. like trying to like turn my face because I was like smirking you know and I was like damn him um so yeah so it can it can be annoying it can be annoying at times but um yeah I think we're just we just yeah we, there's a lot of laughter um in the house and I think that's I, mean, I just I don't know I don't think you can ask for much more how did you navigate the busyness for him for him during COVID and how in the throes of that he was because mm. obviously you were busy as well I'm sure but yeah, he, thanks <laughs> <laughs> you and your little books <laughs> scribbling away <laughs> I know I was more so mean it was kind of scary like he was so in the thick of it yeah. like day in day out yeah like was it worrying or how did you um I mean we didn't see each other I mean yeah it was very little laughter during that time yeah during um but um <laughs> a lot of like zooming oh god I ever have to use zoom again it'll be too soon um <laughs> but uh yeah I mean we didn't get to see each other um I mean a lot of that was as well because people kept saying well why don't you just you know break the you know 5k rule or whatever and I was perfectly prepared to do that. <laughs> but Richard, not so much. Oh my God, such a little square. But anyway, um, no, in fairness, <laughs> in fairness, he did keep, keep saying, he's like, I can't be on television telling people of course. to do something. And then if I'm not going to be, yeah. you know, following the rules. Um, and also how well. delighted would someone have been to get a oh, photo, yeah, exactly. a photo of him, like a exactly. Barack Obama <laughs> plaza or something like, well, yeah. would you look who it is? Oh, so yes, yeah, so and no, on. I would have hated to get him in trouble. Um, but um, no, I mean, he, it was. I mean, it was really. Di- but like, I think it was just really difficult. Yeah. Uh, for everyone. For but everyone. like, I did find it annoying when he decided that he was going to write a book, and then proceeded <laughs> to do his full time job and write a book. Yeah, come on. His, now. I mean, it just makes me look really lazy. <laughs> like it makes me because I was always like, oh my, my job's really hard. Like it's very demanding, and you know, I'm just like you know, creatively really drained all the time. And he's like. Seems kind of easy to me. Tap 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 tap. There you go. Done He's in like, about three months. All right, chapter forty six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But how did you find that time? Because I I think it went one of two ways for you know creatives. Either it was a time where they went, God, this is fab. I'm I'm I've loads of time and space to be creative and to do my thing. Or people were just completely uninspired and couldn't pick up a pen yeah. and write or whatever. Yeah. Well, um, I had signed a contract. Um, <laughs> So, and they would have sued me if I didn't deliver. So right. I was like, so you, you'd be amazed how that will inspire you. <laughs> Truly, when you're like, oh, I have already spent that money. Oh, no. Um, okay. So, yeah, that did help. I know in fairness as well, I suppose, like, I do, you know, I mean, I, I, sometimes my job is difficult, but like, I, I 
wanted to be a writer like this is the only thing that I'm kind of good at you know I'm not going to be making money out of my art anytime soon <laughs> as the doctors at St. John of God's will tell you um but um yeah so I and I suppose it was nice kind of having something to go to every day um, yeah. and with Idol in particular like I just I found that story really and and the character of Samantha Miller like just really fascinating um what a, I just found my own work so fascinating no but it I just is. couldn't wait to get to the desk every day going what genius will I come up with today <laughs> um but uh yeah so but it did help it helped okay Louise a time where you had the last laugh um do you know what was funny I was I was chatting because we were Richard and I were going through these questions and I said, will I tell this story? And he said, that is the meanest story I have ever heard well, in my then, entire life. No, no, I had to hear it. It's about an ex-boyfriend. He was like, it's cat. And I was like, okay, no, it's, it's too mean. I'll, I'll tell you, know. I'll tell you off air. Where's the crack in that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was trying to think of something else. And like, there's a couple of, I mean, I do remember, like, I'll often get at events. Now, I hate to sort of like, you know, give, Air, sort of give oxygen to this theory that I hate men I don't you all seem like very pleasant <laughs> lovely people do you get that thrown at you oh constantly yeah, is that constantly a, is that and like we we have we have a rescue puppy right um, a rescue dog and he absolutely hates men and I'm really nervous I mean I shouldn't be saying it on this because I'm really nervous it's going to get out and people will be like and now she's trained her dog <laughs> <laughs> to attack every man that walks past I'm like I'm sorry but like it's not my fault so he only likes Richard which again is they say your dogs you know become like you I'm like hmm, seems seems to be working out for true there but I will often like when I'm doing events um, or you know so, sometimes at like at parties or you know things like that um, and uh, men will come up and they'll sort of have opinions that they cannot wait to share with me stop um yeah it's delightful um and I remember this one man telling me um that I that he thought that I should write more likable um he was like you know your car your your main characters they're not there which I I mean I get that constantly so I'm sort of used to that as well but they, you know, they're not very likable he was like you know if you want to sell more books you really should make um the the, the main character in your next um, your next book more likable and then I wrote Idol and it you know became a bestseller I was like well seems to be doing okay and she's a monster so a monster. I kind of feel like I um, I got the I, got, I did get the last laugh there absolutely Cute. yeah is that I know you've mentioned it before like that is probably partly why you have come off and gone back on and come off social media yeah because it's just a shithole basically yeah well I'm, I'm not on t- I mean I'm not on Twitter Richard has taken that over um, which makes it really hard because like I'm always giving out to him for being on his phone and then I really have not I haven't got a leg to stand on when he's like doing my social media you know um that's a serious amount of trust oh yeah but you're like he's just he just posts things like you know like a review or yes okay I, so I think people probably do notice that like while well, Louise Neal is using a lot more emojis which if you follow <laughs> Richard on Twitter will know that's sort of a trademark you know um and there's one time he did accidentally tweet about the Bose um you know the soccer whatever team again sport some sporting, sporting some sort of sporting thing <laughs> from my account so to text him really quick get that down get that down right now for god's sake um so yeah so he's kind of he's in charge of that but yeah i mean twitter in particular like it just it just it just turned into a lot of noise and i started yeah. to feel like very afraid all of the time mm. whereas now actually maybe i am getting the last laugh because often i'll write a column and i'll put it and i'll say oh I'll tweet that out there and i think there's gonna be a lot of shit there 
I'm not going to have to see any of it. It's great. And they're going to be all these angry people tweeting at me and I won't see any of it. The it's dream. a waste of their time. But <laughs> they don't know. But when you read the positive ones to you. Oh no. No, no. I try. I kind of. Neither. I, I try and, avoid, and like with the reviews and all of that, I just try and sort of avoid it as much as possible because I think when you're writing, you kind of need to, like often when you're telling a story, it's just, you know, you're trying to kind of, I don't know, create this little cocoon where it's just you and um and the story you're trying to tell. And often if you have outside kind of voices coming in, it can be really distracting. Yeah. And like in, in, in both ways, like after like a really successful book, let's say with Asking For It or, or with Idol, like it can be really hard to go back writing again. Whereas then if there's been a book which maybe hasn't done as well as you'd hoped, that can make it really difficult to go back as well. So I just kind of try and avoid it all as much as possible. And Good. Yeah. Okay. If laughter wasn't the best medicine, Louise, what would be? Okay, well, I mean, I do think everybody should be in therapy. Um, just in general, I just think it's like really important. Um, and I think that we're all, particularly Irish people, because like they've, they've done these really fascinating um, studies on intergenerational trauma. Um, that, you know, where they, I mean, I'm going to really butcher this experiment, but let's say where they have given mice like the smell of, I think it's lemongrass or lavender or something, and given them an electric shock at the same time. And then have tested it on their like babies and like for, I think it's like six generations. I mean, again, I know these are mice, but still, where that like every subsequent um, I suppose generation when they get the smell of the lavender, let's say, they'll start shaking. So, yeah, so there's just this kind of idea of like that we carry trauma in our in our in our genes, um, and I definitely think like for a nation that has gone through let's say even something like the, the famine um, or the civil war like a lot of that I think is, is sort of contained in our bodies um, so yeah everyone should be a therapy but other than that um, I'm going to be this is such an obnoxious thing but like well it's I mean I've been swimming since I was a kid um, now you have to call it sea swimming like that's what you, you, can, you know, or wild swimming you know just so that people will understand that you're much hardier than they are <laughs> you know and you're not in the local pool no oh yeah. no or when people say oh do you wear a swimsuit or do you wear a, like, oh, do you wear a swimsuit like, oh. <laughs> no no swimsuit for me um but when they say do you wear a wetsuit I like to sort of like take a moment and say a wetsuit <laughs> oh god no <laughs> no 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 wetsuit for me <laughs> and then you kind of look at them and go oh do you wear a wetsuit <laughs> I look really, really scornful when they say yes. <laughs> so that is like very therapeutic, I find. Do you like, um, how often do you go? I, I try and swim every day. Um, but it, like, I mean, it, usually it's probably like five times a week. Um, you're, I mean, oh, you're in. Okay, now we see now. Now okay. I have to let myself down. Okay, oh, I Louise. swim. I swim until November, right? Uh, no. And then every year. On, okay, doesn't wow, count. Wow, doesn't count. Michal Martin does it every day. No, he okay, you know I'm what? Joking. I'm going to. I'm going to. I wouldn't be surprised. He's very healthy. Very he's healthy really looking. Into his, he's really into his salads, apparently. Oh yeah. Sure, yeah. When I had him on here, when we finished the interview, he was like, "I've done eight thousand steps. I have to go." He was like, oh "Look at God. the Fitbit." Okay. Um, are you ready for your quick fire round? Yes. Okay. Okay, Louise Moniel, the actor that always makes you laugh. Um, can men be funny? Okay, I'm not helping myself here. I'm sorry. Um. <laughs> Uh, I really like um, Andy Samberg. Um, oh, good one! Yeah, I think any, I think anyone. In fairness, I could have chosen anyone from SNL, um, but I do. I really like him, um, and he is. I love. Um, you know that I, it's really underrated. I feel like not enough people have seen it. You know, pop star. He did, he did that. Okay, you have to watch it. Okay. I think it's still on Netflix. Um, but it's really good. And he also did the voice um, a voiceover in one episode of Never Have I Ever. Have you watched that? No, oh, it's so good. Is as that well. Netflix as well? Yes, okay, it's I'm a honest. teen drama. Very funny. 
the actress that always makes you laugh Lisa. um mindy kaling amazing and the reason it's actually not even so much her acting but more so i think her well, it is her acting, but also she's such a brilliant writer. Like she actually she wrote Never Have I Ever. Okay. Um, and I love the Mindy Project and Sex Lives of College Girls, which, I mean, if you Google that, you're in trouble. But it's actually a very good show. Um, not a softcore porn or anything, but um, very funny. So I I really I really like her. The movie you always laugh about it. Um, God, there's a few. I mean, I I don't know if I would say do I laugh out loud at it. I mean, I really like Heather's. Um, you know, the, have you seen it? It's um, kind of a 1980s. Um, oh, it's really good. And there's some really quotable um, lines in that, like, fuck me gently with a, a chainsaw. And did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And like, just, I mean, things that would just never, ever, ever make it, it like in a script today. They would be like, that. this is completely oh unacceptable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's set in a, in, a, in a high school where like they're going to blow up the school. Now, in fairness, I mean, I suppose the 80s, there wasn't quite the same issue with um, gun violence. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's very funny. Um, and a lot of those lines, as I said, kind of just... Yeah, unforgettable. Okay. Louise, your favourite comedian? I think I'm going to say um, Joanne McNally. Uh, amazing. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I, it's funny. I mean, I've known Joanne for um, a few years. Uh, and I don't know. There's something. First, I think there's something really inspirational about the fact that, like, you know, she's had, like, has had this much success sort of in her late 30s. Because yes. I think particularly as women, I think you're sort of told, like, if you haven't hit, if you haven't made it by 30, then you may as well just like crawl into a ditch and sort of die slowly. Um, and I think, you know, she's just, but also, I mean, I went to see her in Vicker Street and, you know, one of her like 10,000 um, shows and... Uh, <laughs> Garth Brooks, I call her. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> but like, there was something, I mean, presumably you've got to see it. Like, it oh, felt yeah. like, I mean, it did feel at one point it was like, I think a riot might happen. <laughs> Do you know, like, as in, and I, I, I don't drink anymore. I stopped drinking around the same time as I went into recovery. So I was, I mean, the only sober, I mean, I was the only sober person there and Richard was the only man there. So like, we were kind of like very, you know, conspicuous. Um, and um, yeah, but she had such control over the, over the whole thing. But like, there's something about Joanna's all that does feel slightly dangerous. Like you kind of feel yeah. like she could, and she won't because like, she's too smart, but like, she almost feels like she could say yes. anything. Yes. Um, and she's just so funny and sharp. Um, and yeah, she's just a rock star. Like it was, it was something just so sexy about watching her. She's like, you're amazing. <laughs> No, and the jumpsuit. Yes. Oh my like... god, and the baraka with the um with the sage. Amazing. I, know, I, I was describing it to someone, and I was like, I feel like any other com- like stand up I've been at, it's kind of like sentence, 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 joke, send. But like, yeah, it is like joke, 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 joke within the joke within the joke, yeah. and you're like, you're yeah. trying to catch. You're like, you're like, please slow down. It's too yeah. funny. Yeah. And I and really, I often think when you go to something sober, because I mean, I would have gone to a lot of comedy gigs before when you're when I've been drinking and like you know, and things funny. Whereas like, yeah. you're sober, you're like, okay, work, you're gonna have to work here now to really make me you know draw a smile. But no, it was it was absolutely hilarious. Yeah. She is a rock star. And finally, Louise, your best or worst joke. Okay. Are you gonna go with the spider one? Because I think we should do it. No, I can't. I can't. I mean, I've I've imp- now this isn't my joke. Um, my but it just it, it it did make me laugh. But anyway, I'll explain why in a second. So um, my gym instructor um in in Clonakilty always tells these terrible jokes. I've no idea where he gets them. And he came in and he was like, "Oh, Louise, did you hear that um, uh, Sweden have elected um a new president?" And I went, "Have they?" And he was like yeah yeah he's the the president of ikea and i was like oh wow i was like i thought in my head i was like it doesn't seem 
ethical like would he be allowed to do both of those things and he was like yeah yeah he's gonna be assembling his cabinet this weekend <laughs> and still no 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 still I was like god Richard didn't mention anything about the president so I'm like yeah what was that? And I, and I, I'm so like I'm so gullible. Like I will believe anything. I was going, really? Are you? I, honestly, I don't. I don't think that's ethical. And he was like, no, it's just a joke. Get it? IKEA. I was, oh, okay. So, so he really had to explain. I mean, I can't work IKEA furniture either. So maybe there's something in that that like just is all a bit confusing to me. So there you go. I listened to you like Richard doesn't say. Yeah. I was, well, I mean, you know when people say, oh, I always just go to Richard's um, Twitter for information. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't know anything. I mean, I would prefer to know less, to be honest, but like, I'm not a fan of the news, which is a bit of a struggle when you're dating someone who's like called News Chambers. And he's always like, oh, guess what happened today? I'm like, oh, God, what? So I thought he definitely would have told me about this. So there you go. Oh, Louise, it's been an absolute joy. Uh, Thank you so much. I'm so glad we finally got a chance to sit down and I'm so glad that you shared the last of your life. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Last of Your Life podcast with Louise O'Neill. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, don't forget to like, subscribe, rate and review. It really helps the show if you do. Don't forget, our new release day is Monday. This podcast is produced by Chemistry Media and Collaborative Studios. And this season of The Last of Your Life is brought to you by FNF Fashion at Tesco. Hold up. 